Welcome to At the Crossroads Church weekly podcast. Our hope is that you will grow in your walk with God and be blessed and encouraged in your daily lives as you listen. You can visit us at our website at atthecrossroads.ca. Father, we come before you, Lord, and we just thank you, God, for your word, that it does have the ability to transform us and change us. So we ask God that it would. We have open hearts today. Speak to us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I have a little slide I'm going to bring up because we're starting a little series, and the series for the next four weeks is on Samson. Amen. Samson. How many, how many know this is a great story in the Bible? And uh, Samson was a great man, um, had some issues, and we're going to talk about that. Because he accomplished, he, he accomplished incredible things, uh, but he also had some weaknesses. How many know that? All right. And uh, he's, Samson is like us, in a sense, we are, or we're like Samson. Uh, he was called with extraordinary gifting and potential, uh, but he self-destructs. And many times, uh, if we're not careful, we'll self-destruct. And that's why I love the Word. As we get in the Word, it is a blueprint for life. It, God begins to show us how to live, and especially if you read through the Proverbs. There's so much wisdom that we can glean from that will transform our lives. I heard of, there's a businessman that... Uh, that I've known, he said, you know, he would go into business meetings and he would just begin to share ideas and he would be in Proverbs in the morning, reading Proverbs, and then he'd start to share this uh, at, at a meeting with executives and leaders of this company. And they'd be like, wow, where did you get such insight? And he's like, the Bible, right? And that's a great idea, right? And, and so, so God, God is faithful uh, in training us. And so I want to start here talking about the state of Israel. The state of Israel, uh, at the time when... Samson comes on the scene. Uh, the state of Israel had done evil in the sight of the Lord, and uh, God handed Israel over to the Philistines for 40 years. And so when we talk about God handing over, what happens is God's protection uh, was over Israel. They're a covenant people. But when you begin to live in sin and rebellion against your God, God withdraws his protection, and then the enemy comes in like a flood and has his way. And see, Because God will never violate our will. Amen? Because he loves us enough to say, I want you to have your own will, and I want you to make decisions for yourself. And sometimes if we make the wrong decisions, we open a door uh, for the enemy to come in. How many know that? We've talked about that in the past. In Judges chapter 13, verse 1, it says, again, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistine for 40 years. But even in, the, in, in this case, God was raising up a deliverer. God, was, God is always wanting to deliver his people. So they were making mistakes, and they were going away from their Lord, and, and so God delivered them. But he's like, you know what? I'm going to give them a deliverer. Now, how many know they didn't deserve it, right? But God, who was rich in mercy, says he's going to raise up a deliverer. And in Judges chapter 13, verse 3 to 5, it says, And the angel of the Lord appeared to a woman and said to her, Indeed, now you are barren and have not borne children. And in those days, if you could not bear children, that was your primary role uh, in, in that culture and society. Women were to bear children for their husbands, and it was a little out of balance, as, as we know now. But th that was their main call, was to bear children. So she didn't have, she didn't have it, right? She, she didn't have anything. But God came, and he said, you're going to conceive and bear a son. And I, I love how God uses the most unlikely conditions, the most unlikely people, and the most unlikely situations. Amen? All right. So you can say, I I'm barren. You know, I don't have a good enough education. Uh, you know, I had a past that is very messed up. Uh, I came from this situation. Listen, you're, you are a, a great candidate for God. Amen. 
And that's the beauty of the Lord is he always uses those that everyone else says God can never use them. And so here this woman is now. The Lord speaks to her in verse 4, says, Now therefore, please be careful not to drink wine or similar drink. Okay, Don't eat anything unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. And no razor shall come upon his head. For the, ch- the child will be a Nazarite to God. From the wound, he shall bear and deliver Israel out of the hands of the Philistines. Now, a, da- a Nazarene vow in those days... This was a way for an average person who was not a priest to consecrate themselves to the Lord. So people would say, okay, they're consecrated to the Lord. Okay? And the Nazarene vow was this. You abstain from wine or intoxicating drink. Number two, you refrain from cutting your hair. And number three, you refuse to go near or touch a dead body. And then there was also some uh, restraining of certain foods that were unclean. But we see, we see Samuel, or not Samuel, we see Samson here. What an amazing man, because his birth was announced by an angel. He was set apart and chosen to deliver people. He had this massive empowerment of the Holy Spirit that gave him supernatural strength, right? He could go and just, boom, you know, he had supernatural strength. He tore apart a lion. Has anyone ever seen a lion? Gone to the zoo? They're fierce. And, you know, you don't want to touch a lion. This guy goes up against a lion and tears it apart. When the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, his, his gifting was supernatural strength. He tore apart a lion. He killed a thousand men with the, the jawbone of a donkey. Like, this is phenomenal strength. And, and so God was using him, but then on the negative side, he had this uncontrollable fits of rage or anger. How many know you can have uncontrollable fits of rage? He killed 30 men to pay off his debt, right? He had this debt. He said... You know, and this, we'll get into this more next week, this riddle that he had with the Philistines. And, and he, 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 he lost the bet. And he goes out and kills people to pay off his debt. He had a strong weakness for women. And so when we look at Samson, we see Samson was, was a very strong man with a very dangerously weak will. A strong man with a, a weak will. And I believe that God... Uh, he's made us strong by his spirit. He's imparted his spirit. He's given us strength to overcome. But we have to make a choice. Are we going to have a strong will? Are we going to focus uh, on character, right? Character is what you do when nobody's looking. Amen? And uh, many times, uh, you know, we can be com- committed to our work. Uh, you can be, if you like exercise, you're committed at the gym. You're committed in different areas of your life but you won't commit at home, and you won't commit with your, your spouse, or you won't commit with your kids. And, and, and sometimes you can be aggressively a visionary for your work and for your career, but then when you get home, um, your hand's off, right? And, you know, you, as men, and, and this message is really, it's speaking to everybody, but it's really targeting men because sometimes, you know, as men, you know, we can get online, and, you know, you, you can be searching up, you know, the, the best fishing rod that you can buy and spend four or five hours looking at, you know, football or whatever online, but then we won't take three minutes to search the Word of God concerning an issue, right? And, and so we can love God and we can love our family, but we get trapped in this lustful world that God doesn't want us to be part of, all right? And uh, it's very interesting when I study the Nazarite vow in, in Numbers chapter 6. If a Nazarene who was set apart to God had a dead body next to him, and even if it happened on accident, 
He'd have to go to the priest on the sixth day and shave his hair, cut his hair, and then make a consecration to the Lord and a sacrifice on the seventh day. So I wonder sometimes, did Samson like have to shave his head because he was always killing people, right? That was the only way you could cut your hair is if, someone, if you came in contact with someone dead. I don't know. I think he had his hair the whole time, but that would have been long, amen, dreadlocks. But anyway, um, we see that, that, you know, this long hair was really an outward sign to people that this man has a, has a relationship with God. And, and in the modern-day church today, I think we have these outward signs. You go to church, you know, we publicly worship and we, we ha- lift our hands and we go to connect group and we do other religious practices, whatever it is, and that's great. We should do that, but that's an outward sign. The question is, what's happening in our hearts? What's the attitude of our hearts? And so just like he walked around with long hair and said, he's a man of God, but what was happening in his heart? And, you know, the attitude of the heart is so important because um, the attitudes that make strong men weak, number one, is lust. I want it. I got to have it. And so God can call you as a man and you have a calling in your life and you have a destiny, but the enemy wants to get you into a place where you, you lust. You're like, I want to have it. I, I got to have that. And we get our eyes off God, and we see this with Samson. Samson went down to Timnah, and he saw there a young Philistine woman. And when he returned, he said to his father and mother, I have seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now go get her for me to be my wife. And and the amazing thing is that, you know, this was four miles away. This town was four miles away from, from his village, and he probably had lots of babes to marry in his own village. But it was like, no, I'm going to go into enemy territory. I'm going to marry a woman, right? And so he was searching in the wrong area. See, the enemy was deceiving him and moving because in those days, you worshipped or you married people that worshipped the same God as you, right? And so he was moving into a very dangerous place, all right? He didn't ask God, God, is this the woman you want me to marry? He didn't ask his parents, what do you think? He didn't do any of that. He said, this is what I want. This is good for me. I have to have it. All right? And First um, John chapter 2.16 says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is of the world. Right? And with this word world, if you look it up, it talks about the fallen world, the fallen kingdom of this earth. And the word lust means you crave for it. It's okay to want nice things. It's okay to, you know, want to marry a babe or a hunk. It's okay if, to, you know, I'm just being real, right? It's okay to want nice things. But when it becomes more important than pursuing God, you've moved into the enemy's trap. Amen? And I remember when I met my wife in the summer of 1996. I went in. I had a girlfriend with me at the time that we weren't getting along very well. And I showed up, and I was actually that summer searching for the Bible school that I wanted to go to because I had felt a call to the ministry. So I went, I was going to different Bible schools, checking them out. So I ended up at World Harvest to check out the Bible school. And I came in with my mother. My father was there. And I sat down, and I saw my wife. It was like, you know, like this light was around her. And the lust of the eyes, 
I said, she's a babe. I want her. I got to have her. She's my, I'm going to go for her. I was so excited. And I was young in the Lord, and I thought, God's going to give me everything because I'm his favorite, right? So I'm like, yes! And so uh, I prayed under my, vo- my, under my breath. I said, Lord, that's the woman I want as a wife. Right? I'm just looking at the, what I see, and I, and I think, man, she's hot. I want her, Lord. Give her to me. She's Swedish. She's blonde. She's tall. She's everything I've ever wanted in a woman, right? I was really excited. And, and I'm like, Lord, give her to me. If she's the one for me, Lord, I, I just, as long as you give her to me, I'm going to take her. And I'm having this conversation with God and myself. And I turned to my mother and said, that's the woman I'm going to marry, right? So then I went up to her and I started talking to her about the Bible school. And she shared her heart for ministry and her, a little bit of uh, what the Bible school was about. And I thought, man, she, she loves me. Look at the way she's looking at me. This is awesome. Instant connection, right? I met her two years later. She, I don't remember meeting you, right? But that, <laughs> I thought she was totally, like, into me, right? And uh, so I was really excited. And I was signing. So I had some different Bible schools here, and I was filling out the applications. I'm, like, I'm going to go to this Bible school. And the Lord says, no, you're not. I want you to go to this Bible school. But, I'm, but Lord, the babe from Sweden, remember her? The Lord says, no, you're going to this Bible school. And I said, okay, Lord, I'm going to put that aside, and I'm going to be obedient. Because I want, my focus became my wife, a girl, before she was my wife. And I got my eyes off God. And God directed me away from what I wanted. And I did. I went away from what I wanted. And uh, it was funny because I was, I was actually working a job in the area where the Bible school was, where she was. So I thought it was God. And no, God says, you're going to the other Bible school. So I went and talked to my boss, and I said, yeah, watch, Lord. This is going to work. So I said to my boss, can you lay me off for one year and take me back? He's like, sure, no problem. I'm like, oh. So I go to another Bible school two hours away in St. Catharines, did my first year. And then the second year, in the summer after the first year, I'm praying, and I'm saying, you know, Lord, what are you asking me to do? He says, I want you to go to the Bible school where Camilla is. And I'm like, yes, right? So I'm really excited because I made a covenant when I was in Bible school. And first year I said, Lord, I will only marry a woman who goes to Bible school. That's my vow to you, Lord. Kind of stupid and immature, but that was my vow. And because uh, there was all these girls, right? All these girls in first year of Bible school in this certain Bible school. And I was like, yes, I got lots to pick from, lots of fish in the sea, right? I'm going to find a wife. This is exciting. And I, I hadn't forgotten about her. But I remember walking across the room, and I was going to invite this girl out for a date. And someone walked in front of me. A guy that I hardly knew walked in front of me. He's like, yeah, you see this babe in Oshawa named Camilla. And he's talking to someone. I'm like, hold on. And I run away. Who are you talking about? Camilla, do you know? And I said, yeah, yeah, I met her before. And totally lost interest in who I was pursuing. Not good. God was like, I better stop this. And then God brought me to the second year Bible school where she was. And of course, at that point, I had matured and my, my focus was, was on her. But then when I came to this Bible school, she was the only eligible woman. Well, there was two eligible brides. And I said, Lord, she better like me or I'm in trouble because I made a vow. But then I thought about it afterwards. I could go back for a third year and a fourth year until I find the right one. So there's always a loophole, right? But anyway, I'll go on from that. But the lust of the flesh, what is the lust of the flesh, you know? Um, You're seeking to satisfy your fleshly desires. And these desires can control our lives. I got to have this. I I need to have have this substance. I have to have 
this situation. I have to have this relationship. There's a lust there that uh, it can cloud our judgment and it can move us away from the presence of God. It actually destroys our value system and what we value when we give into the lust of the flesh. And then there's the lust of the eyes. And Jesus talks about this when someone looks at a woman or at a man lusting after them. You're, you're committing a sin in your heart, right? It can also be material possessions. I have to have that boat. I know because the Lord, I, that, I went through that a few years ago. I got to have a boat. I've been living by the water for so many years that I don't have a boat. And someone told me, Pastor, it's a sin not to have a boat and live beside the water. And I said, you're right. It's somewhere in the Bible. We'll find it. Remember, Camilla, we had these conversations. And the Lord really, I had to search my heart, right? But we can lust at that. You can sit there and say, okay, I got my tithe here. I got the, the harvest on the edge of the field. And I got this in my hand. But I really, really want that vacation. I really want that. So I'm just going to take some of that. Amen? And sometimes we can... The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh can lead us into a bad place. And the third one is the pride of life. You have this desire to be known by man. You have this desire to be praised by man. You have this desire to, uh, to, to be worshipped in a sense. And these are areas where Satan concentrates his attacks. And we see this in the Garden of Eden, right? He's, the fruit was beautiful to look upon. Wow, look at that fruit. I got to taste it. And so Eve looked at it. It was pleasant to eat. And if she ate it, she was promised, you'll be like a god. So you see the pride of life. And that's how the enemy works in our lives. And so we see Samson has this, this is, I got to have it. I, I got to have it. He had to deal with the lust. And the second attitude that he had was wrong was entitlement. I deserve it. I should have it because I deserve it. And so, you know, this lion approaches him. And this mountain lion, the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him. He tears the lion apart, right? And sometime later, when he went back to marry her, the woman he was pursuing, he turned aside to look at the lion's carcass. And this is where it is, because we're walking with the Spirit, we're going with God, and, and we can turn aside and, and go in the wrong direction. How many know we can do that? And so he turned aside, and he goes and looks at the lion's carcass, and it, there was a swarm of bees and some honey. Now, the Nazarite vow is you're not to touch anything that's dead. He reaches into the lion and scoops out with his hands honey and begins to eat it. And that's very disgusting, but that's what he did. Okay? And then he went home. And here's the issue, if you think about it. He broke a vow to God for a handful of honey. And, you know... The enemy, enemy wants to tempt us. If you had this, if you did this, if you responded this way, if you looked at that online or if you connected with this person, you know, uh, it, it, there's sweetness to it. It'll make your life better. And then you go and do it, and then you feel naked and ashamed and guilty and separated, in a sense, from the presence of the Lord. And this is what he did. was He, he compromised his conviction. He compromised his vow with the Lord for a handful of honey. And we see, you know, we see in the church, we see people leaving a faithful wife. We see home wreckers. We see, you know, people choosing to buy things instead of tithing. You know, I had a pastor once told me, and he said, you know, I've been pastoring for seven years. And he said, you know what, everyone who in the congregation who's been tithing on a weekly basis, in seven years I've watched their income almost double, promotions, jobs, 
things change, situations line up, new homes. I'm watching this. And he said, the people that just tip God and give, throw a 20 in here or there, their income doesn't change. They stay in the same place. And I said, wow. Isn't God's word true? If we're faithful to give, he'll open up the windows of heaven and pour back. And it's not just money. It's giving of your time, giving of love, serving in the church, serving in your community. All of the things you're sowing out and you'll receive back. Amen? But so many people, a, a cheap thrill with a computer screen rather than to be honest. Uh, you know, we, we see, you know, I deserve it. I should have it. You know, my wife and I, we used to watch a show uh, on uh, Slice TV. It was called Till Debt Do, we, Do Us Part. Anyone ever watch that? To, to debt, to, to, how do you say it? To debt till, to, whatever. Till debt do us part. Okay, so it's all these couples that get together and they're having financial struggles. It's affecting their relationships and then she comes in and tries to help them fix out their budget and their financial plan. And she always said this thing is that a lot of people get in debt and they blow their budgets because they have this attitude, well, I deserve it. I deserve an ice cap every day because I have to put up with my husband or I have, I'm just so stressed. Or I, I deserve a new car. I deserve, but the budget says you can't, right? And so this attitude of I deserve the best, I deserve, I deserve, it, it actually can open you up for a very dangerous future and broken future. And so we see here he had a problem with lust, uh, Samson. Then number two, he had this issue where he had entitlement. And then the third one is pride. I can handle it. Oh, don't worry, I can handle it. And it says here, his father went down to see a woman, the woman, and Samson made a feast there as was customary for the bridegroom. I looked at that, that word feast, was, it's mista, okay? It means a feast or a party, a celebration for drinking. So this guy basically is throwing a keg party right? With the Philistines for his wedding, he's throwing a keg party. Now, one of the Nazarene vow, you shall not touch alcohol. And so again, he's breaking his vow to the Lord. And, you know, we can do that sometimes. Well, I'm strong. I really want that. I can handle it. I can deserve it. Sometimes we're drawn to something that should be off limits to our faith. And then grip, sin grips us and takes a hold of us, Right? And that's what happens. Well, I deserve it. I can handle it. No problem, right? I can have my girlfriend stay the night. Nothing will happen. I can handle it. You know, I remember a young woman in Bible school, and she was just a very godly woman, went to, um, was going through Bible school to be a minister, a great girl, loved the Lord, and had a boyfriend in the college. And she went over and spent time alone with him. And things happened, and beautiful life came out of that. A beautiful son came out of that. But my thing was, why did you sin? I didn't, I didn't say that to her. I said, why did you put yourself in a position to be tempted? Because we can all be tempted. She's like, yeah, I shouldn't have put myself in that position. And so my wife and I, when we were dating, we made a, we made a vow to one another. We're never going to be alone together where there's no one else around for the time that we're dating because we wanted to be pure. And we know that we're only flesh. And then one day... I was staying at this house. I was room and board, and I went up into my bedroom, and I laid on the bed, and my wife came up, and we were, we were out doing stuff, and she laid beside me. We were just laying with the door open, just taking a nap, and the owner came up. His name was Rex, and he came up, and he goes, I am the 
ghost of Pastor David. I am the ghost. And we jumped with the ghost of Pastor And he, he said, you shouldn't be in this room. And he kind of kicked us out of the room. Um, but it was hilarious. But, but we had made that commitment. And so sometimes we think, I can handle it. I can, I can handle going to the bar with my friends. I'm not going to get drunk. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. And what happens is you put yourself in a situation where you think you can handle it. It's no big deal. But then it is. And this is the biggest thing I see. And this is where I see people struggle so much as new Christians. When I was 21 years old and I rededicated my life to the Lord, I had a marijuana addiction and an alcohol addiction and other drugs and stuff. I was not in a good place, but God delivered me and set me free from that. And so I remember going over to my friend's house, and uh, I'm sharing my faith with him and the other people in the room. You know, God touched my life. You need to give your life to Jesus. And they're passing around a stogie. They're passing this thing around. Everyone's, yeah, that's awesome. Tell me more. And they're passing it around. And I'm just chatting, having a great time. And it came to me. And without even thinking, I'm, I'm sucking on this joint. And I said, what am I doing? And I gave it back. And so I said, I, I got to go. And I said, guys, listen, I love you guys. I, you know, you're my friends. But I need to take a break from our getting together because I've separated myself to God. And they were like, okay, cool. And about a year later, I started reconnecting with these friends when I was strong enough. And the biggest thing I see with new Christians is like they come to the altar, they commit to Christ, and then they go back and hang out with the same people that drag them back down into the same mire. And sometimes, not all the times, but sometimes God says, I want to pull you out of that so you can be strengthened and go back and be the influencer. Amen? And obviously, Samson was influenced more than he influenced all right? And so we fast forward to the end of his life. We go back to the end of Samson's life. And we'll talk about this more in the weeks to come. But his eyes end up being gouged out. His eyes end up being gouged out. And he becomes the laughing stock. 3,000 Philistines are gathered together and they're laughing and pointing at him. He can't see anymore. He's physically blind. He can't see. And this is what sin does it takes you down a road where you become a laughing stock. And you say, well, are my eyes going to be gouged out? No, but it could be worse because um, you can look back and say, you know, I don't have a relationship with my kids anymore because I did this and this and this and this and I gave into lust and I gave into this and that, that divorce might not have happened if I would have been, you know, this situation could have been different. I could, you know, I, there's ministers today that, you know, they get to the end of their life and, and people that say, I hope... No one ever sees my past because then they get in trouble. We've seen that happen because your past is exposed and it can ruin your reputation, it can ruin your character, right? And so, so the enemy wants to gouge you out, wants to take you out, but how many know we have a great God? Amen? And he's able to save us. He's able to save us. You know, Samson with his long hair on the outside looked like this guy is committed to God. But on the inside, his heart had drifted away. And he has, did not have the character that he needed. In Luke chapter 18, verse 11 to 14, it says, The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. This is, uh, sorry, Jesus speaking, Luke chapter 18. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes to all that I possess. And then a tax collector standing afar off would not even so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and those who humble himself 
will be exalted. And the attitudes, now on a positive note, the attitudes that make weak men strong is this. When you get to a place where you say, I want God. He's the answer to everything in my life. I want God. Number two, you realize that you deserve death. How many of that we all deserve death? We don't deserve anything because we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But God in his mercy has reached out and he saved us. So you have to say, I want God. You have to recognize you deserve death, that there's nothing good in you apart from the Holy Spirit. And, I, I, and then the third one is I can't handle anything without God. All right? And, and so, and this is the thing I hate when people come and, and, and talk to me. I'm like, oh, you're such a, a, a good person. You're such a, a, a great man. You're so strong. And, and, and I would say, no, I'm not strong. A, apart from the Holy Spirit and God's grace, there's no strength in me. I know how far I can go. I know how far I had fallen in the past. I know where I could return to if it wasn't but the grace of God. The grace and the power of the Holy Spirit is what keeps me on the straight and narrow. And the moment I stop, even though I'm a pastor, I stop walking with the Holy Spirit and saying, Lord, what are you saying today? And the moment I start thinking, well, I'm pretty righteous and I tithe and I go to church, and then I'm ready to fall because I need the grace of God in my life. I need the strength of God to lead me. I can do nothing without God that's going to bring fruit to his kingdom. Does that make sense? And so if, if you're a woman and you're looking for a husband, don't look for a guy who's strong in himself. Look for a guy who says, I'm weak, and without God I can do nothing. That's the man that will take you the distance. Because without God, we can do nothing. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, it says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. God wants us to be strong, but not in our own strength, in, in God's strength. When we recognize that we need him and that we can't do it without him, we put our faith and say, God, you are my source. You are my strength. You are my supply. And 2 Corinthians 12.9 says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made, what? Perfect in weakness. Therefore, more gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ would be evident in my life or rest upon me. And I really think this has to be something as a church we really need to always remember. I want God. Number two, I deserve death. I don't deserve anything. But what does he do? He gives us everything because of the goodness of our God. And I can't handle anything without God. I can't. I know I can. Can you? I know that in time, if I stop spending time with the Lord and walking after the Spirit and reading the Bible and praying, that I would begin to go down the wrong paths again because none of us, apart from God's grace, are anything, right? God is good. Why don't we stand together? Father, we thank you, Lord, for these examples in Scripture and the lives that even Samson did great things for the kingdom. But we also see his weaknesses. And Lord, may we learn from that. May we learn to say, God, you know what? I'm not going to lust after what I see. I'm not going to lust after the things that I think I want. I'm not going to have the pride of life. I'm going to put you first. I'm going to pursue you, God. And Lord, if you're speaking to our hearts in any way, if these attitudes are present, God, we just come right now and we repent. Why don't, I, why don't we just all pray? Heavenly Father, 
We come to you in the name of your precious son, Jesus. And we thank you, God, that you redirect us. And Lord, if there's any lust in our lives, if there's any pride in our lives, we repent. You're number one in our lives. And we're dependent on you. We need you. We deserve death. And we can't handle anything without your spirit. So, Lord, we don't want to go without you. In Jesus' name. Amen. The just shall live by faith in their God. And I love this because, you know, I read about Moses, and he was called the meekest man. And you know what he said? Lord, we don't want to go anywhere unless your presence goes with us. And when we start moving into the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, his presence, he's still in us because he never leaves us for a second, but his presence that, that brings us in victory kind of like moves back. How many hear what I'm saying? So God, search our hearts. Keep us pure. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. We hope that you enjoyed our message. If you are in the Quinty West area, we would love to have you visit us on Sunday morning at 24 Dundas Street West, Trenton, Ontario. Check out our service times on our website at atthecrossroads.ca.